1: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host Rich Faye and I'm joined once again this week by Don Booth.
2: Hello, good afternoon.
1: And by Samuel Luckhurst. Hello Rich, nice to see you. Nice to see you both as well. And uh, I guess there is only one place to start. European Championship continuing. England into the quarter final stage. And from a United point of view, it's been a very encouraging week as well. And Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba will get a nice long rest, which I'm sure will please Oleg on Solskjaer. But the main talking point, really, Don Booth, is England winning and United players playing a key role in the victory as well.
2: I'm so glad you came to me first to talk about england um yeah it was just very satisfying wasn't it for for, for england fans i appreciate we, we have a, a number of international listeners so i apologize for my uh england hubris but um yeah it was a fantastic performance from both harry Maguire and and luke shaw at the back for england um we've seen shaw play at the left-hand side of a back three in oligon Gunnar solskjaer's team when he switched to that formation uh obviously He's made his name this season on the left-hand side of a back four, but he was actually playing wide of a five for England and created that that goal uh, and just had a, an all-around solid game as we've sort of come to expect from him now. I think he's he's raised his performances to a completely different level in the last year or two, Luke Shaw. You have to probably give credit to Sol- Solskjaer and also Gareth Southgate for for getting that out of him, probably mainly Solskjaer because of the improvement that the Shaw made. We all know about what happened uh, under Jose Mourinho with, with Luke Shaw. I think that probably needs to be put to bed now. We, we seem to be going over all ground a, lo- a lot there. and Mourinho's been, been talking a little bit about Shaw and when leaving him out quite conspicuously of his England teams for this tournament. So, but um he and Maguire, probably even more so Maguire, actually deserve credit for the way they performed against Germany. Um, as has been the case in the last few months, last few weeks with, with Harry Maguire, we saw... Um, what the United defence was like without him uh, and we saw the, what the England defence was like without him. I know they didn't concede a goal, but he's in a massive upgrade on Tyrone Mings in that position and, and just how crucial he is for United and England now is a testament to to him and, and that price tag, which probably seems still maybe a little bit over the odds of what it should be, but but not, um, not too much so. He, he's getting towards being a, that £80 million player uh, and I think England... Now, rely on those two as much as any other player in their squad, really, maybe bar, bar Raheem Sterling. So, very, very encouraging from both the United and England's perspective. Uh, and that's that's why I'm so chuffed on the, on this podcast.
1: Yeah, of course, Maguire won the, the star of the match so it, at the European Championship. Luke Shaw, perhaps, maybe, was a player, had the biggest impact, though, and key roles in, in both of the goals. Uh, Samuel, what did you make of the performance, and like, like Tom said, particularly the involvement of the, of the United duo in defence?
0: Well, through United prism, it was fascinating that you had Trippier on the other side as well, who is, is a player Solskjaer wants. And I certainly think if, if United were to get him, that tactical flexibility is, is a lot more apparent because he, he, he's played at wing back at a European Championship and, and a World Cup now. Whereas someone like Wan-Bissaka, just taking away the lack of international experience, he never strikes you as being capable of um, developing into a wing-back. Maybe he will, but it's obvious that Trippier is a more rounded attacking full than, than Wan-Bissaka. Uh, Shaw's contributions with with both the goals was, was excellent, but he has been playing like that for... Pretty much since I'd probably say since the start of the re, since the restart last season, he, he was he was playing well before the se- the season was shut down. But primarily as a um, as a centre back in a back three, and and he slotted in there for the the PSG game last season when United played well and and won, and and Shaw played well again. But he has pretty much focused over the last year on on you know, becoming that brilliant world class left back that United hoped they were signing when when they got him seven years ago. And uh, he, he's developed into that now. I think he's he's been world class for a number of months. You can lo- lose that status very, very quickly. But I think as you've, as you've seen with Maguire as well, he's, he's barely put a foot wrong in, in a couple of games that, that he's played for England. And if England certainly were to get to the final, you'd probably have to recognise him as a, as a world class defender. I know a lot of people do already. I I, I, th- I think that's that's been a bit... It's such an abstract term, world-class, but I I I still don't think Maguire is quite there yet, but it's encouraging for United and for England, particularly England, given the concerns about defence going into the tournament, that you've got a a possible world-class left-sided defensive combination there with, with Maguire and Shaw and Southgate that's you know, handled that situation very well. There's the even split down the middle, the blue of City on the right, the, the red of United on the left. Pickford's a much calmer goalkeeper now. I think that was apparent in his Everton performances this calendar year. And he's he's going to take some shifting now whenever Dean Henson next reports at at St George's Park. But with with Shaw it's it's been a very good very good year, 18 months I'd say. Um I think the, the breakthrough is probably when he. It's probably the last time United actually lost an away game in the Premier League when he started at Anfield in a back three, and everyone thought, "What the hell's going on here?" And he used that. He used that as a springboard to to improve, and he played very well in that position uh, against City a couple of times. Uh, most most memorably, I think Chelsea away was another one because. back then, Brandon Williams was his competitor, and it was a pretty. It was a pretty close run thing between them because Williams did so well when he first came in but Shaw has always had the higher ceiling and credit to him he's, he's really you know kept on going he had a dreadful start to last season you think of the games against Palace and Tottenham and I know pretty much everyone who was starting those games for United was not at the races but he was he was particularly woeful and, and should have been sent off against Tottenham but he recovered really well from it and this Apart from maybe Andy Robertson, I don't think there's a left-back in the world who you probably say is, is undeniably better than Shaw. He's he's up there with with Robertson and, and Alfonso Davies. And his, his professionalism in his first two or three years at United did not go down well with Van Gaal and then Mourinho. With Mourinho, there was the history between them from when he rejected Chelsea in, in 2014. And, you know, think there was definitely an element of Mourinho not forgetting that even though he was told they actually approached Shaw and said that the past was the past when they were reunited at United but I I think that very much informed Mourinho's management of Shaw but on the other hand you had Shaw turning up for training late one time and when asked to explain why he said that his mum hadn't woken him up he'd overslept and his mother had overslept so that was someone who was just very, very immature. And sometimes you get that at big clubs. Memphis Depay being an example. A player It goes to a big club is too immature and he can't quite hack it. Shaw is... Who, who was very friendly with Depay as well, although together at United has gone the opposite direction. He's he's rallied, he's um, taken advice on board, and certainly for me, he should have been the United's Player of the Year last year and the season when he was the Player of the Year. Uh, he arguably played his his best football under Mourinho, so it's testament to his mentality and, and his robustness that although he can you know maybe feel picked on and, and and maybe encounter tough management, he can still you know get going when the going gets tough. Yeah, like you said, Samuel, it's was a testament to
1: Shaw now that, that sort of those those are being put behind him as well. He really is forging his reputation and, and maintaining that form which, you know, United fans have seen every week, but now he's really taking it to the, the national level as well and showing fans of other clubs that you know it's not just United fans getting excited, he really is the real deal. Don, we mentioned at the start of the podcast earlier, United players who are involved in the European Championship, two of the key players are, are now out of it in Bruno Fernandez and Paul Pogba. We're expecting maybe one of them to go all the way to the final. So an extra fortnight for those two. Players, Two players who are often overused by Solskjaer as well and was criticised for relying on that core group of players. From United's own selfish point of view, do you see it as, as a boost that, that they're out or do you think it's maybe a blow that they've lost that confidence and that momentum that they were building?
2: Yeah, it's a difficult one. I think you wrote yesterday, didn't you, Rich, that United will be looking at it from a selfish point of view and that extra rest is absolutely vital, especially when you consider the, the poor start United made to, to last season when they barely had a pre-season at all. About 30 days, I think, between the end of one season and the start of the next and there was a 1-0 defeat against Aston Villa in a pre-season friendly and that was pretty much it in terms of preparation for the for the campaign. So Solskjaer will obviously get more this season. And, He's happy happy probably to see that Fernandes and Pogba and others have remained injury-free and will probably come back um, sharp and fit and firing. And I guess the way Pogba played as well in the tournament, you'd have to say, was a massive positive, providing that he he doesn't drop some sort of transfer bombshell between now and the start of the season and that he stays with United. Obviously, there's that that one-year contract expiry now hanging over him, but if he does come back with a kind of form that he displayed for France, then United fans are in for an absolute treat, aren't they? I, I do want to address a slight issue as well, I think, over Pogba. but there's there's obviously this discussion all the time now, whenever he plays for France, oh he plays so much better for Deschamps and you know he has Kante next to him. And why don't we see this form for United that seen those gripes um being voiced by United and United fans on social media. But we have seen this sort of big game version of Pogba for United several times. You think of his performance off the bench uh, against AC Milan in the season just gone, his performance, all his performances against Tottenham, especially um, in in the Tottenham grounds seem to be fantastic now. He seems to be making a point to to Jose Mourinho whenever he plays against Spurs and those big goals in the league against Fulham and Burnley, you know, he's got this in him. So I think it's, it's not a surprise to see what, what Pogba's doing and, if United can keep keep hold of him for another year, I think uh, it may well be like a sort of final hurrah, and and the hope is that United will see the best of Pogba for the next twelve months. And from Fernandez's perspective, I suppose it, that rest is even more vital, considering how fatigued he has looked uh, for club and country in the last few weeks and months. So it, he's the one really who, who does need to put his feet up now and and hopefully get some rest before the start of the season. Hopefully he can he can then come back to to the form that we saw initially from him for... In the first year or so after he signed, it, it hasn't been the same, Fernandes. That's for sure. So I'm sure Samuel's got some some thoughts on uh, that Fernandes Ronaldo relationship in Portugal and the way Fernandes has been used by Portugal in the tournament. That's that's been interesting for me.
0: I, I didn't. It, I'm surprised, oh, right,
2: <laughs> but he he didn't have a good tournament.
0: But it was it was an interesting dynamic with Portugal in that they had their probably the most amazing array of attackers they've ever had at a major tournament possible. Possibly ever. Uh, it's difficult to think of a time when when they had a set of forwards that were was such a stellar cast. In the, in the days of Figo and Rui Costa, you, you'd still look at the strike and think, "Is is he up to scratch?" Nuno Gomez had a very good Euro two thousand, but I remember Paul. I don't know if both of you remember whether you're too young. Pauletta, who used to be at um, PSG's, absolutely d- dreadful for Portugal, but he had a great goal scoring record. But whenever a tournament came along, he was he was terrible. Yet the the issue they had with this current squad was that is that Santos the Fernando Santos the, the coach is so conservative and as you saw when Portugal won the last Euros it was it was underpinned by by stability really Pepe was brilliant Jose Font was brilliant and at this tournament the only forward that really turned it on was unsurprisingly Ronaldo. Jota missed I think he, must, he missed two great chances against Belgium he missed a great chance I think in the the first game against Hungary Fernandes was dropped Joao Felix I thought was underused I thought Keane's criticism of him was was unfair it was very on brand from Roy Keane to call Joao Felix an imposter. but I I think Felix was just underused and and Bernardo Silva was was pretty underwhelming as well the only time they ever they ever really clicked as a unit was for that breakaway goal against Germany and uh, with, with Fernandez, it I, I thought he was an obvious full guy I, I didn't really see the the fuss in Santos dropping him for the, the two games that he didn't start in Renato Sanchez did did very well he looks like a, a player reborn uh, I don't think many of us actually watch Lille on a on on a weekly basis probably don't ever watch Lille once once a year so um, I'm sorry for Swansea if that
2: counts for anything
0: that that yeah yeah when he when he Not passed many people did uh, that yeah, was, when he passed out it the
2: advertising hoarding, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Who, Whose name we will not give uh, the free free advertising to. Uh but it wasn't a surprise that Fernandez played the way he did because he he has looked fatigued for a long time. A lot of his performances for United were masked by moments, uh, whether it was a goal, an assist, a penalty. He's a he's a quality player, nobody's disputing that. But he as you say, Rich, he, he was overused, he was run into the ground or as I think Declan Rice said last night of Harry Kane, he ran his socks into the ground, which was um, something you'd expect Declan Rice to come out with. But the fact that Fernandez has at least got another fortnight is, it, it is a blessing. But th- I think the next Certainly for Pogba and Fernandez, and for United, what they've got to look at now and try and do is to get those two players playing as two tens in an attack. Do you, do you think that's doable though? Because you need they've such you know, a new defensive mid-builder. midfielder to do yeah.
1: that. I know City have a, a vibe where they sort of have that two number tens, but then with wingers as well. I, I do you
0: think United have the defensive it, capabilities for it? It is. It is almost like playing football manager, playing FIFA. It is very idealistic, but. I think with, with Pogba, you have to you have to maximise his talents while he's still a United player. And Mina Raiola has been conspicuously quiet during the tournament. Um, I mean, some of us have, have actually tried to contact him and haven't got anywhere. So it's, it's, it's reassuring to know that I'm not the only one, but I suppose Tuto Sport will run some quotes now by the time people are listening to this. But as long as you've got those two players, you need to try and maximise them. And I thought... I'd say for this calendar year, even though Pogba had a six-week absence, I'd say that he probably outperformed Fernandes. In terms of the football he was playing, he hasn't got the numbers to compete with Fernandes, but there is an element of stats padding with Fernandes, of course, with the penalties. And sometimes a player can get an assist and it's about as much of a contribution as Brian McClare passing the ball to David Beckham and then him scoring from the halfway line. So sometimes the numbers take, things out of context, but you have got two world-class players there. And I I don't really see Solskjaer accommodating Pogba full-time from the left wing when he's got Marshall, Rashford and James, because that's going to be three unhappy players and there's going to have to be a full guy there. And the obvious one you think is, is I mean, this is hyper the obvious one you think is Daniel James, but I think the way... Um, you know rashford standing the standing rashford has now he would expect to be starting games i don't necessarily agree with that sancho has to start on the right i think united have, have kind of pigeonholed him as a right winger even though he he played an awful lot of last season the majority of last season was at Dortmund. but it, it is the expense of it they want foran um, they would they would need they can't get away with playing fred or fernandos thats I thought that was more expensive. Luke I think, would be stable, but whether he's got the level to be stable enough to allow those two to let off the leash uh, remains to be seen. And, and Solskjaer has been of the opinion that McTominay should be a more attack-minded midfielder, which I've always thought is a bit, you know, a bit questionable because I think he he is better for United as a more defensive-minded midfielder. So I I suspect come the first day of the season, it will not be Pogba and Fernandes playing in those roles. But if Pogba is still around, you've got to start both of them. It's just a way of making it work where one doesn't trump the other. Yeah, of course. And, you know, that's one
1: of the advantages, perhaps, of having that more generous uh, fixed schedule after Leeds, particularly. There might be a game where you can you can go a bit more gunko and have those players in, in more attacking roles. Dom, in terms of the players that will have to make way, you know, we keep on talking about the players who could arrive at United this summer. But there's got to be players leaving. And we speak about midfield. You've still got Donny van der Beek, who's hardly... You know, done anything? United shirt. You got Anthony Marshall, who's still up front. You have got Ahmad. There's so many players who are on the periphery, and you wonder what will happen when new signs come in with them. For your, from your own personal opinion, Dom, what, which player should be be sold by United this summer?
2: Uh, you start with Jesse Lingard. I think he's he's deserved to to secure himself a move elsewhere with his loan spell at, at West Ham. Uh, you know, he's been a decent servant to United. United by by any recollection, really. But I think. You know, it, the time has come for, for part ways there, and I do find it a little bit strange that it looks increasingly like Juan Mata is going to stay at the club. I, I think he'd be another who, I personally, if I if I was director of football at United, not something that's going to happen uh, very soon, but I would be moving him on. I think he's 33 now, and he didn't feature very much last season. I know he he had a bit a few personal circumstances at home, and I think he had an injury as well. So, but even so, you, you'd like to think Donny Van der Beek can be the man to put pressure on Bruno Fernandes in that number number 10 position. And I don't don't really know where that leaves Matter, especially with uh if Jane Sancho comes in on the right wing as well, which is the other position that, that Matter can play. So that's a little bit odd for me. Um in terms of the youngsters, you've got to try and get them get them loans really where they're going to play at, at the highest level they can possibly play at. I think with Ahmad it's an interesting one because I don't think the plan has been to to secure him alone. I think United see him as someone who can play regular first team minutes, but then they spent a lot of money on him last summer and and his pref- preferred position is on the right wing, where it seems like Jaden Sancho is going to arrive. So that's going to be a problem for for Solskjaer to to try and solve. And they don't even United don't even have Europa League football to to rotate the squad in on mass, really, you can't afford to do that in Champions League games. I guess maybe there'll be one or two at, at the end in an ideal world. If United have already qualified for the knockout stages, but that's probably being a little bit optimistic as well, considering what happened in the knockout in the group stages last season. So, Ahmad is a bit of a problem. The rest can can be found loans. The likes of Polistri, Ted Mengi, James Garner, those people who, who are right on the edge, probably Anthony elanga as well. They also need to be found found loans and then like you say Rich there are still other players that I've not even mentioned here that, that need to be moved on. I mean we're we going to talk about Phil Jones on this podcast or, or or is there no point? You know, there's there's a few on that list that United need to need to sort out. It's not just about incomings like you say Rich.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of big decisions to be made. Yeah, and Samuel, uh, you're keen to talk about contracts expiring as well. I know the, the end of June usually uh, signifies that you've got Juan Mata, who you know you've reported today, it's his preference to to stay at United. Where where are they up to on on these decisions over contracts? Because I know you mentioned as well last week that there's, there's a lot of sort of decisions was are yet to be made by Solskjaer. and I get the sentiment of wanting to keep players around, you know, that might have something to offer. But if you want to challenge for the title you've got to be ruthless. You know, Man City are a good example. You know, If a player doesn't really have a worth to the squad anymore, you've got to get rid of them. And he still sense that Solskjaer is maybe too kind and too loyal to players. So he likes his people, but maybe doesn't like them as players so much.
0: There was that funny tweet someone posted, I think at the time that City announced that Aguero was going to leave, that if, if Silver Company and Aguero were United players, they'd have been signed up on five-year contracts each. City, four years ago, released three fullbacks and, and they sold the other one, Kolarov, I remember being in Houston and Guardiola just mentioned it in passing very casually, You know, selling him as well. So that's, that's four fullbacks going in a single summer. It's It's unthinkable for United to ever do anything like that because they operate in just about the polar opposite. They wanted to get Timothy Foster to tie down on a new contract. They gave one to Phil Jones, to to Eric By. They, th- their decision making and the, the logic or lack of logic behind it is is baffling. I think Woodward did address it once on the record, and th- the answer was so so uninspiring and so. Just just didn't, just lacked clarity that I can't even quite remember what it was. So you've got Lee Grant and Paul Wollstone, who are two players with about I don't know, 110 minutes worth of football for United between them. Reserve goalkeepers. Wollstone, I mean, pe- people probably some people listening probably have never heard of him, but he's, he's one of the reserve goalkeepers. He, he he sustained a very serious hip injury, and in, I think it was April or or, or May, and. United are giving him a new contract because of, of his situation. They don't want to just discard him. And and, and United are quite good with younger players um, like that. I mean, on a completely different level, you think of the uh, trauma physically, mentally, that Max Taylor went through and, and how United looked after him as he as he overcame cancer. And obviously he's, he's, he's been released this summer, but they've helped him get loans. They've looked out for him. They looked out for the release players last year as well. It's it's just um, you know it's it, it's a good good aspect of the club that they've maintained this year with with giving Wollstone a new contract with with Lee Grant. I think that you know, he his his camp does Lee Grant even have a camp? I don't think so. But um, the, the noises from his side have not been particularly. Um, particularly optimistic about that and with Tom Heaton probably coming in there's there's no real need to to keep Lee Grant around um there's never been much need to to keep Lee Grant around I think he's 38 now but I think when he joined United he saw it as a possible option to get on the coaching staff and he was listed as a coach on a team sheet or two last season he held out up the advertising board for one game as well which is an important job reserved only for the goalkeeping coach so it looked like he was going down that path but he might he might just be severing ties completely now so uh it's it's pretty small fry there matters the the big one, if you like, but he, I think he only played 18 times last season. As, as Dom said, it was, a, it was a difficult season for him with his mother being unwell and then sadly passing away. So that's always bound to compromise a, a player's availability, particularly at a time of, of a pandemic as well. Uh, but I thought when he did play last season in the Premier League, there were a number of games that he did influence and that he did still look sharp. And players like Fernandez and Van der Beek... Very much enjoy playing with him i i think that he can be a decent service for united for for one more season i think there is there is some logic in it but there's also logic in in just letting him go and letting that be the end of it uh but i think it's pretty clear that united have, have been trying to make him take a wage cut there because with those plus one options if if the player wants to stay usually it's a foregone conclusion the club just trigger it like that but in this case that's in this instance that's not been the case and there has to be a um a mutual agreement for the the option of an additional year to be triggered uh, as was the case with Cavani whereby with Cavani the club wanted to keep him but for a fair old while he wasn't sure that he wanted to stay on but then as soon as the clocks went forward he you know and and the weather brightened up a bit he his form picked up and he ended up staying and Everyone at United is very pleased about that. Yeah, it's
1: going to be fascinating to see how he does next season as well. Particularly, it's going to be interesting as well to see if United end up without a striker. Just how often Cavani plays because I know there's been gripes about his his fitness issues and how often he can he can manage games. So maybe there will be more game time for Greenwood in that centre forward role, which he, he hasn't quite taken to as maybe Solskjaer would have hoped so far. But Dom, last few minutes of the podcast, do you expect United to push on with their transfer dealings now that the that are certain nations out of the European Championships some some targets now might be easier to, to negotiate with. But of course, the, the England contingent will be off to Italy this weekend.
2: Yeah, they certainly need to push on with it. I know that not many clubs have done a huge amount of transfer business yet because of uh, all that involvement in the European Championship. But I think, yeah, United have to to get moving now. We've seen far too often how they drag their, their heels over these uh, transfer dealings. And... We're left waiting until the last day of the window. Deadline day, I think four deals were announced on deadline day when it was in October last season. United can't afford to do that again. They've got to to at least give themselves a chance. And I mentioned before with all the preseason preparation and, and getting players back fit and, and going to fire from the from the very first game, that has to be a, a huge priority for Solskjaer. And he needs to to try and put pressure on the hierarchy to to get this finally get this Jadon Sancho deal over the line. It, it's felt like complete deja vu with... Uh, with the Sancho saga coming back uh, this year when, when we thought it was all over from, from last summer. But uh, they need to get that done. They need to try and progress this Rafael Varane deal, which they, they're obviously keen to get done and to add, add that uh, experienced centre-back of real pedigree to play alongside Harry Maguire. That, that's got to be a, a priority as well. And then after that, Samuel mentioned Kieran Trippier. Um, I don't see much maybe aside from those three deals, but if if they can all get done and sort of before the before the end of July is maybe a little, being a little bit optimistic but that has to be the aim for United in these next few weeks.
1: Yeah, Samuel, there's almost a bit of deja vu in terms of the Harry Maguire deal with Jadon Sancho. You know the player wants to join, you know what Dortmund want, just pay it up. You know, that's what lots of fans are saying. Just get <laughs> over and done with. Gary Neville said he's bored to death of the transfer saga. Try 100 reports on it every day and put a different headline on the blog. We get it, it's going to happen. Just make, make it happen. But, you know, these podcasts are going to come very outdated very quickly in terms of transfers because recording this on the Wednesday you know by the time it goes live there could be developments you know you just never know in the, in the world of transfers but where do United stand at the moment on on deals and where do you expect them to strengthen other than the centre-back and right wing this summer uh
0: but with Trippier nothing has changed uh I think I wrote that the other day I mean it's, it's, it is that kind of season where even you know nothing has happened nothing has changed you still end up writing it because it's it's a bloody transfer window. Uh, I think I replied to Simon Peach about something completely separate last week about an England press conference. And the only reply to it was just someone sending both of us a picture of Sancho apparently posing in a United shirt, which I suspect is, uh, is a complete forgery. But that's not not forgery, fabrication rather. Uh, but that's that's the the time. Of, it's that time of year, and that's what we have to um, we're, we're, what we have to put up with. Uh, with with Ryan, as, as Dom said, I, I wrote last week that they were making slow progress on that. I, I don't see that happening quickly. I mean, what's quickly quickly is is next week for United. Um, with with Sancho, I had to write closing in on <laughs> last week because. I guess they are closing in on, but again, where he's tied up with England, England could be in the European Championship final on Sunday week, I think. So I'm pretty sure that will happen this time, but I don't know why people would be impatient about it on this occasion. Last year, United never got down to discussing a bid. This year, they have actually made bids and they are making headway. Um, I think if, if there are people out there who are threatened about whether Jane Sancho is going to sign, then they just need to get out and get some fresh air, do something enjoyable, wherever they are in the world, if, if they can, I think it's it's possible, whether you're inside or outside, just just do something that just takes you. Just go mind. on FIFA and sign yourself. Yeah, yeah. Play FIFA. Uh, watch, watch the Euros. Film, binge something. Watch the football. Exactly. You know, that's that that has been the joy about the Euros over the last week or so, where the, the tournament has really caught fire with with jeopardy about it. It's it's just been it's been great to watch. Um, you know, um, unfortunately, we were denied penalties by the Ukrainian having to score in the 120th minute last night. But <laughs> apart from that, the knockouts have been been fabulous to watch. Been really entertaining. Um, and and that's. That, that's always the escapism with 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 football um it, it takes you away from the the nonsense of the transfer window so uh but as as you as you asked i i think if united get three players this summer they'll see that as a good return i think it's very difficult for them to justify the the considerable expense on a on a elite defensive midfielder, I think that's that's a tricky one. I think that that would be one if they could delay it until next year. They would, if they feel as though they absolutely have to sign one this year, then I don't think it's going to be someone for you know, 60 million plus or anything like that. Um, I think it'd be a, an option where they'd have to be quite canny, a little bit like Leicester with with Angola Kante six years ago, as as I've said previously, but. It's, that's that's a very, very difficult thing to do.
1: Yeah, and like you said as well, Samuel, it relies on offsetting those player sales, so getting rid of a, a quite a big chunk of the squad as well. And of course, yeah. in, in terms of defensive midfielder, you know, we're sort of stuck there next season anyway. There's the likes of Fred McTominay, you don't have to find roles yet. Van der Beek, no one knows what his future is. Bob, but no one knows precisely what his future is there's just so much uncertainty that I think like you said defensive midfield is maybe a pipe dream for United fans this summer but new right winger a new centre-back and a new full-back that's more than enough to, to quench the thirst for many and we'll see what happens you can stick with us on the Manchester News as always for the latest transfer news every day we run our live blogs and give all the latest transfer lines as well so Dom, Samuel thank you very much both for joining us today on Manchester's Red podcast
0: thank you ever so much Rich thank you thank
2: you, thank you.
1: And thank you once again for listening, whatever you might be in the world. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll see you again next time.